Welcome to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week, where our goal is to equip the believer to do the work of the ministry. This week, our associate pastor, Ephraim Monahan, aka me, is preaching. Um, so we hope you enjoy this message from the associate pastor here at Gateway Church, Pastor Ephraim um, I just Monahan. want to introduce my son, Ephraim. If you guys don't know, this is my beloved son who I love. With him, I am well pleased. And uh, Ephraim is, uh, means fruitful. And we're just so blessed to have you as part of our, our staff here, part of our ministry team. And you just bring such life and joy. And this guy, he loves the Word of God, and he can preach. I mean, he is good. So let's, uh, let's give God some thanks for Ephraim this morning. And I love you. Proud of you. So. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, like he said, I'm an associate pastor here at Gateway. I, you know, get to work with worship team and the youth group. Oh, quick shout out, youth group, 7 o'clock, Wednesday nights, be there. Um, what is it, around like 12, 3, 18? Um, be there, great times. Um, but yeah, summer's coming to an end. Don't, some of you kids are going back to school this week, aren't you? Yeah, three days. So that's, that's crazy. How, how many of you guys had a good summer? All right, yeah, that's good. How many of you guys went on vacation? Did you guys get a vacation? All right, a couple of you. Who, who went to the, keep your hand up if you went to the beach. That's where I went. Uh-huh. Who is still planning on go, going to the beach before the summer ends? Anyone? Uh-oh, you might want to close your ears for this story. Um, <laughs> I was about, like, I think 10 years old. Um, 10 or 11, I don't know, could have been 9. I, I just lost all perception of time after a certain point. Um, but I was down in Daytona Beach, and we were, you know, Daytona, big old waves, you know, catching those, well, how do you say it, the, the cahoons or whatever, the kahuna, the kahuna waves or whatever. But no, my parents, they just, they just gave me a boogie board and let me run. Um, and that thing, kept me, that thing kept me occupied, like, the whole time, like, the, every day of the week. I mean, they can testify. They gave me a boogie board. I was content for like the whole entire day. I got yelled at by the lifeguards for trying to follow some surfers out, you know, way far, but you know. But anyways, I caught this like huge wave. Um, <clears throat> took me from like, I was like way out inside the ocean, caught this big wave, swept me all the way to the shore. Um, and I was like, I was on cloud nine. I was like, that was awesome. That was the biggest wave ever. Um, but the second I stepped off my boogie board, I stepped on something slimy, and I was like, at first I was just like, oh, it's just some seaweed. Split second later, I realized it was a stingray because it stabbed the side of my foot, puncturing the side of my foot, and I was, you know, I was like 10, but I was a tough kid. But no, I still cried like a baby. I walked all the way, I walked all the way down the beach with, you know, blood coming out of my foot, and <clears throat> it was, it was horrible. It was horrible, and for the next, like, three days or four days, I like, couldn't really walk on it, it was hurting, all that stuff. And like, in my ignorance, I would say that I was in excruciating pain. I was like, oh yeah, I got, I got stabbed by a stinger. I was in excruciating pain. In my ignorance, I would say that not knowing where that word comes from. But if we look at the word excruciating, it comes from the Greek excrus, which literally means from the cross. Today, and this is a word that's so, it, the, from the cross, the pain that people feel on this most horrible death of being on the cross, they had to create a word to describe the pain that it brings. So today, I want to go in depth with the crucifixion. And it's, it's a process so painful that they had to make a word to describe it. I want to go through the experiences in great detail, and I'll do my best to articulate everything that our Christ Jesus went through, but I, my words cannot even come close to what he experienced. The whole process started um, at the communion, at the, at the Last Supper, and where Jesus was before his disciples and friends, and he was at what he called the Last Supper, where they went around, and the thing is, Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He knew how his body was going to be broken in every way possible. He knew that his blood was going to be poured out in the most horrible ways. Yet on that night, he decided to wash his disciples' feet. This says that he washed all his disciples' feet. 
knowing that the man that was betraying him was sitting among them. He knew that Judas was going to betray him, yet he washed his feet. Think about that. It's like, how? And the next stop after that was the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, like I said, Jesus knew what was, ha- was, what was going to come. He knew, his punish- he knew what he was going to take, the punishment of the sins of the world. And just a quick story to put this in perspective. When I was a kid, I was kind of a troublemaker. I was like all over the place. I was a little rascal. I'd run around um, uh, just getting all types of trouble. But most of the time, I knew my punishment. Like I, I, I was the type of kid that, you know, my parents spanked. I don't know about you guys, but my parents spanked. Um, and I got in trouble enough to where I kind of knew, you know, what the punishment was going to be. So, you know, like, have a rude tone with my parents. It's about, you know, one spank. You know, it's nothing bad, nothing bad, you know. Um, then maybe if I break something on accident or on purpose, they don't know. Um, it's about, you know, two or three spanks. And then, you know, if me and my brother get in, like, a big old fight or whatever, throwing fists and stuff, then that's about four or five. And, you know, it's usually not too bad. You get kind of used to it. You're like, ugh, yeah, I fought my brother. It was kind of worth it. I'll get my five spankings. I'll be all right. And I was like, you know, it's, it's fine. But the worst was when that fight happened at the beginning of the day. And let's say it's like 10 in the morning. I'm already, I wake up punching my, no, I wouldn't wake up punching my brother. He probably says something stupid beforehand. Um, but but it's then, then that's when my mom's home, but my dad isn't. My mom says, oh, you just wait until your dad gets home. Now, that was the worst because for the next, like, five, six, seven hours, I am just sitting there waiting like, I know what is going to come. I know the punishment that is set before me. Just get it over with. Just get it over with. But the thing is, is that was always ten times worse than just, you know, did something bad and boom, you get the punishment. It was so much worse because what? That anxiety, that stress is just stirring inside of you for hours and hours and hours and hours. And so we look at this, just to put that in context for this next, um, this next passage where Jesus was this next time. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew his punishment. He knew the price that he would have to pay, and that was stirring in him for years. He knew what he was going to have to do. Way before, earlier inside the scriptures, he prophesied to his disciples that, I will, I'll have to, I'll die and I'll raise again. I'll, I'll carry this cross. I'll die on this cross. He knew what he was going to do and he knew what he was going to have to do. And so when Jesus was in the garden, he prayed to the Father three times. And he was so deeply stressed and anxious that he said to Peter and the two sons of Zebedee in Matthew 26, 35, it says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. To the point of death, it was stirring in him so heavily. In recounting the same event in Luke 22.4, it says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And then this is not just an expression. I mean, people I'm sure hundreds of years back was just like, oh, that just means he was sweating a whole lot, like big drops of blood. But this is actually literal. It's a medical condition found almost exclusively inside prison, inside death row inmates who are about to be executed. They're filled with such stress, such anxiety because their death is coming to them that actually blood vessels will, will pop and explode inside the sweat glands, causing them to sweat blood. So just from this condition alone, we know that Jesus went through more stress than probably anyone else in existence because he knew what was going to happen. Just from this condition alone, we know that what he went through was upon one of the greatest amounts of stress before this even happened. And after this, Jesus was arrested. He was questioned before the Sanhedrin. He was falsely accused. He was mocked. But what? He stayed silent inside the face of this false accusation. And then after he was falsely accused and said that he was a blasphemer, said that he was 
claiming to be the son of God, after he was accused of this thing, they blindfolded him and beat him and mocked him by saying, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you. And then after that, he was handed over to the Roman official Pontius Pilate. He was also questioned. And even though he could easily, he could easily, Jesus could have been like, well, this is why what they said isn't true. Jesus could have easily defended himself. Easily. So much so Pontius Pilate himself says, I find no fault in this man. Why do you want to execute him? But Jesus stayed silent. And he took that, pri- he took that price. He paid that price for us. And and Pontius Pilate even gave the crowds the option. Who shall we set free? Barabbas, the murderer, or Jesus? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And everyone said to let Barabbas go free and let Jesus be crucified. Jesus was rejected by his own people inside that moment. And then after this, Jesus was flogged. And so, this process, it doesn't go into great detail in Scripture about what this flogging process entailed. But by just looking at the history of the Romans' executions, how the Romans went about what they did, we know exactly what Jesus went through, exactly to a T. Because this this was well-documented And the Romans were known for having the most brutal, horrible torture and execution out of any other civilization in existence. And that's when Jesus came down to die for us. And so this is how the flogging process started. The flogging was meant to weaken the victim so that they wouldn't put up as much of a fight when it was time for their hands and their feet to be nailed to that cross. It was meant to bring them to the brink of death. And so the whip that was used to beat Jesus, it was called a cat of nine tails. And I'm sorry, guys, I'll probably be holding back tears this whole time because this is, this is raw. This is just the truth of the crucifixion of what Jesus paid for. The whip that was used to beat Jesus was called a cat of nine tails. This was a leather whip with about either six to nine cords, with the leather wadded up in different areas containing metal dumbbells or shards of bone, or and shards of bone. This was very intelligently designed by the Romans. They thought long and hard about how they can torture their victims as brutally as they can. The metal dumbbells were put into place to when it hit the victim's skin, that it would dilate the skin and the blood cells, and all the, and all the blood to make, to pretty much just weaken the skin, to make it as painful as, pro, as possible. So when the shards of bone attached to the skin, it would rip it off more easily, causing more pain and more blood to be shed. In many instances, inside this flogging process, it was documented the Roman execution many times that the victims would have their abdominal wall so beaten and so torn at that their intestines would fall out and they would bleed to death. This is what Jesus went through. A lot of times we see this depiction even in the Passion of Christ where Jesus is, tra- is like chained to this, to this stump or something where he's in the feudal position, just laying there, covering his extremities, covering his sensitive parts of his body. But this most likely isn't how he was crucified, or that wasn't how he was flogged. Most likely, with this information of intestines being spilled out, he probably had his extremities, his limbs, chained to either side, being beaten everywhere. The amount of lashes that he took, some people would say it's 39 because we look at we look at the Old Testament law, it says that you can't, you can't um, punish someone with more than 40 lashes, so the Jews would only lash at their victims 39 times. But you've got to remember, this is under Roman law, 
not only did they not obey Jewish law, but they saw it as mockery. And so when they would hear, oh, we're only supposed to um, whip these victims 39 times, they say that's a mockery to the power of Rome. And instead, especially because Jesus was Jewish, referred to as the king of the Jews, they would whip him at least more than 40 times over his whole body with six to nine cords of shards of bone and metal dumbbells smacking his back, tearing the skin apart, a process that killed many. And after this process, when his skin was exposed, or when his flesh was exposed, there's probably more flesh exposed than there was skin to cover it at this point. It was also custom to the Romans to throw salt on the open wounds, causing excruciating pain. After this, Jesus was then mocked by the soldiers. He was beat over the head with a rod, with a staff, and had a crown of thorns, thorns being about two and a half, two to two and a half inches long, being pressed into his skull. And now your skull, of course, is very painful, sensitive, so many receptors, nerve receptors, and, and when it breaks into your skull, the blood alone caused by injuries like this can cause death. If, you're not, if you don't have immediate medical attention, just those thorns alone pushing into your head can cause so much bleeding that someone would die just from that. And after he was mocked, after he had this thorn pushed into his head, after he was stripped naked and mocked, said, oh, look at you, king of the Jews. This is the Messiah. He then had his cross beam. It wasn't the whole entire cross. It was the cross beam that was attached to either limb. So he held it like this. Attached to either wrist so that he could not move his arms. He was beaten to the point of death, to the brink of death. And it was thought that these cross beams were about 110 pounds fastened to either arm, walking to his point of execution like this. And when you fall, in a, when you fall like this, with your arms spread out wide and 110 pounds on your back, that force will easily break ribs. So when Jesus fell on his way to execution, most likely that he broke ribs and it was humanly impossible for him to get up, which is why the Roman soldiers said, Simon of Cyrene, help him up. Get him to his point of execution. And at this point, Jesus was at his point of execution. He was laying there on the cross, and he had his arms stretched out, fastened to the cross. And the Romans took seven to nine-inch nails, piercing the wrist of Jesus on both hands. Now where the nail had to sit, it would tear what is called the median nerve. I'm sure we all know what the median nerve is, even though we might not know the name of it. It's a large nerve system. We refer to it as the funny bone as part of that same system. So when you knock your funny bone, on a counter or something, we feel this tingling, shooting pain, not just on that spot, but the nerve sends it all the way through your body to where your whole hand is like numb and your shoulder is tingling and your whole body is in pain for that split second because you just bumped it. Jesus' median nerves on both wrists were pierced, torn through, causing excruciating pain. And after that, his feet were stacked on one another in vertical with the cross as they were also nailed to that cross. And now this was actually a form of torture that was part of what the cross is because remember, this execution was very intelligently thought about to be as painful, horrible as possible. So when his hands and his feet 
were pierced and the cross was lifted up, all of his body weight was hanging on those three nails. The pain from that median nerve is being pulled out from all of his body weight. His back, raw, with salt probably still in his flesh, scraping against the splintered wood of the cross. And when you're inside that position, your joints start to go out of socket. And your lungs are, are inside a place to where you can inhale in a, place of, in a rest place inside the cross, but when it comes to exhaling, you can't. You literally can't in the position with the weight that's being placed on you, in the position your arms are at. You can breathe in, but you can't breathe out. And so this is where the nail inside his foot, this is where it came into play, so that the people on the cross wouldn't die so quickly. The nail was placed there so that the victims on that cross, that Jesus, could push up against that nail, piercing his feet, just so that he can pull himself back and lift himself up enough to exhale. Every breath scraping the raw, the raw flesh, exposed flesh, against the splintered wood on that cross. And after this torturous, slow death, to confirm his death, the Roman soldiers had to perform what they call a death blow. For the two criminals aside, Jesus, they broke their knees so that they couldn't pull themselves up anymore, and they just suffocated. For Jesus, he was not responsive, and so they pierced his side, puncturing his heart, causing water and blood to pour out. This is the most agonizing, painful way to die in the history of mankind. And this is when Jesus came down to die for us. Out of any place, out of any time, he chose then. Why? Why didn't Jesus just come down in the 20th century and die by a lethal injection, a painless death? If it was just his death that we needed, why didn't he come down then? I mean, even in Deuteronomy 21, 23, it says to be hung on a cross, to be hung on a tree, is to be under God's curse. Jesus was cursed as well as put through every possible bit of agony. So today I want to go through four reasons why Jesus had to die the way he did. And so this first one, which is going to be the longest one, is that we serve a God. Reason number one is we serve a God of his word that does not break his promises. This is the reason of, he, of him fulfilling prophecy. So if we look, we're going to look at two passages really quick. Isaiah 52, verses 13, through Isaiah 53, verse 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And also Psalm 22. So, in Isaiah 52, verse 13, it says, See my servant. This is titled, The Suffering Servant. The suffering and glory of the servant. This is the prophecy of the Messiah. Verse 13, see my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. That's another thing is this prophecy fills in some of the blanks that we don't, that aren't specified inside the New Testament. In other places in Isaiah, it tells us that the Messiah will have his beard ripped out of him. And this is something that isn't mentioned in the scriptures, but it happened inside the midst of his crucifixion, that process. But this is another place in verse 14 where it says that in his form marred beyond human likeness. We see this inside the New Testament. In John 20, 13, it says, 
they asked her, woman, and this is, to put in context, this is Mary and Martha at the tomb trying to find Jesus. They were going to change his linens and anoint him or take care of the dead. And, but when they got there, they didn't see Jesus. And so this is, this is Jesus. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. This is, this is the same through all Gospels when it talks about how Mary looked at Jesus. It's, she didn't even realize that this was Jesus. She looked at the man, but she did not realize who it was. Because his appearance was marred beyond human likeness. When he was on that cross and beaten, his own friends, disciples, people who spent the last three years with them constantly, didn't even recognize who he was. His disciples also not realizing. They couldn't even tell who it was because he was so beaten and scarred. We know that he contained the, the wounds inside his wrists and his feet because Thomas only believed when he could touch his wounds. So by this we know he kept his wounds for us. He kept all of them to where we wouldn't even recognize them if we saw them. Moving on to verse 15. So in his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations. This is a beautiful prophecy that many Gentiles or us Christians nowadays don't even realize the significance of. It's because this term sprinkle was used um, to describe when a sacrificial lamb um, inside the Old Testament for the atonement of sins of the nation of Israel would be sprinkled. Is that by that lamb, the sacrificial lamb, the sins of Israel will be atoned for that year. But it says here, speaking about the suffering servant that would be marred, pierced for us, says that so he will sprinkle many nations. This is talking about how Jesus, the Messiah, will die for all the sins of the world, not just Israel for a year, but all the sins of the world, past and present, and future. It talks about this, 1 John 2, 2. It says, he... It's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And to continue in Isaiah 15, And kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they have not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This right here alone would be thought to just be crazy that by the sacrifice of a man, the only, way, or the only thing that we need to do to accept his sacrifice is to believe. Who will believe our message? This, was, this is something that could never be even thought about in this time. Yet Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And to continue, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was a regular person. He didn't look any different from the rest. He was a carpenter's boy. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one whom people hid their faces. He was despised and, he, and we held him in low esteem. He was not royalty. He was not special. He was a carpenter's boy. Verse 4, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. We persecuted him. The Jews and the Romans alike at that, around the cross, looked at him and said, you deserve this, you blasphemer. We considered him stricken by God. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet, you, yet who of this generation protested? It says, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. There's no other way to translate for he was cut off from the land of the living, but to say he was put to death. This was the same phrase used when talking about the um, punishment by death inside the Old Testament according to the law. He was put to death, cut off from the land of the living. Verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his, um, and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, he was spotless. Yet he was hung beside murderers and thieves. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Even though he was cut off from the land of the living, he was resurrected. That's our Messiah. His days would be prolonged. And he will see his offspring, his disciples, his ministry being expanded. And if we look at Psalm 22, this is all just a prophecy of Jesus' crucifixion, his death and resurrection. In Psalm 22, start at verse 6, it says, But I am a worm and not a man, scored, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Now this word for worm here, there's many words, there's a couple words for worm inside the Old Testament in the Hebrew, but there is a specific type of worm that this was referring to. Raise your hand if you guys were here when Brian Simmons was here and he was instructing the communion. Does anyone remember the name of the worm he was talking about? Talath worm. It was a talath worm. And this worm, it had this beautiful picture of the blood. It was actually even used by the high priest to dye their clothing for their, for their robes, for their, um, for their ceremonies, their robes for the ceremonies, to dye them red. But how this worm worked is how it reproduces when it, when it was about to reproduce, it would climb up into a tree. It would fasten itself into a tree to where it couldn't move. And it would give birth to, to her children. The children would then eat the mother persecute, attack, hit the mother, kill the mother, eat the mother, just like how Jesus was beaten and attacked by his own children that he was dying for. And this mother laid there as the, as the babies crawled down the tree. Guess what color this toloth worm, this dead toloth worm turned into? It was this red dye that dripped down the tree that the priests would use to dye their clothes. It's a picture of the death of Jesus Christ. And in verse 7, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults and shake their heads. Jesus was mocked so heavily in his crucifixion. In verse 8, he trusted in the Lord, they said. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. This is almost an exact quote of what was said inside the New Testament, Matthew 27, 43. It says, this is what they're saying to Jesus. It says, he trusted in God. Let God rescue him. Now, if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. Exactly what happened. In verse 9, yet you brought me out of my um, out of the womb, you made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast, from birth I was cast, um, cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. In verse 12, it says, Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. This represents the leaders at the time. Many times in prophecy, 
animals, different types of animals were used to describe people inside the prophecy. These were people of high esteem, of strength. And roaring lions that tear their prey, these are the Romans, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. His blood is poured out like water. Jesus was beaten three times. In the Sanhedrin, his blood was poured out. When he was flogged, his blood was poured out. When he was mocked and knocked over the head, his blood was poured out. When he walked to his place of execution, his blood was poured out. When he was nailed to that cross, his blood was poured out. And it says, all my bones are out of joint, like we talked about on the, on the cross. His bones would be out of joint. My heart has turned to wax and it melted within me. Every medical pro- professional will say that Jesus most likely died by heart failure due to the loss of blood. His heart turned to wax and melted inside of him. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. With the blood loss Jesus was going through, he would be extremely dehydrated. The amount of fluid that he is losing, his body would be extremely dehydrated to where his mouth would not create any saliva to try to maintain as much moisture as it could so his mouth would be dry. His tongue sticking to his, the roof of his mouth. Verse 16, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. This was written in a thousand years before Christ. Estimated a thousand, one thousand and thirty-two BC. Crucifixion wasn't even invented until the Persians invented it in the three hundred BC, four hundred BC. Later, the Romans perfected it. But yet, it says right here, a thousand years before the death of Christ, and six hundred years before crucifixion was even thought about. They pierced my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. He was naked before everyone to stare. They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Matthew 27, 35 says exactly this. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, by gambling for his clothes. Now, this is such a pure expression of what happened on the cross where it's undeniable. But do you know who was the first person to reference Psalm 22 in relation to the events of the cross? Does anyone know? It was Jesus himself. If we look at Matthew 27... 46. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This wasn't just something that was him crying out in despair of, God, you forsake me, how dare you? But in that time, the teachers, the rabbis, they didn't have, they didn't have chapters and verses to reference Psalms, to reference Proverbs, to reference Old Testament, how would they reference it? Is that they would say to those who are listening, let's turn to the psalm that says, you know, this first line or this rememberable line. If we look at Psalm 22, verse 1, can we pull that up? Very first line, Psalm 22 that we just went through, it cries out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus was not crying out in despair. He was crying out open to Psalm 22. Open to the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is the exact events that is going on. One of the few things that Christ cried out on the cross is the reference, the prophecy of his own death. I want to go through um, three other reasons really quickly. These will be short. So reasons Jesus had to die the way that he did. 
Reason one is he keeps his promises. He fulfills the prophecy. We just went through that. Of how in detail it is. And that's just half of it, if even. It's not even half of it. Reason number two, that he died the way he did, is to show that he can sympathize with you, no matter what you go through. Jesus went through more stress than probably anyone else did in history. Just the condition of bleeding or of blood coming out of your sweat glands is proof enough that Jesus was feeling an unimaginable amount of stress and anxiety. No matter the stress and anxiety you're going through, Jesus can sympathize with you because he has been through it himself. He went through betrayal by a dearest friend, a man that spent three years in ministry with him, eating with him, sleeping with him, Judas. Betrayal by one of his closest friends, closest companions, betrayed him, gave him up to die. No matter the betrayal that you you have gone through, Jesus can sympathize with you because he has been through it like no other. He went through rejection by his closest disciples. Peter denied him not once, but three times. He was rejected by his closest friends when he needed them most. Peter said, I don't know him. I don't know him. No matter how rejected you feel, no matter how badly you've been rejected, Christ has been through it, and he's been through it worse. He can sympathize with you. He went through every type of physical abuse imaginable. No matter what physical abuse you go through, Jesus went through it worse. And he can sympathize with you and be standing with you and say, here I am. Talk to me about it. He was cursed verbally in every way. He was mocked and he stood silent. He was cursed in every way. The words that were spoken against him were vile. No matter how you are being cursed at, the vile words that are coming your way, Jesus can sit there beside you and say, I get it. I can sympathize with you. When Jim Baker was here, he made up this great point that I didn't even think about. But he told us that Jesus was sexually abused in the process of the crucifixion. Ask any judge inside this county, inside this state, inside this whole entire country, if you strip someone naked and beat them, and and force them to be on display naked before everyone. That is a horrible form of sexual abuse. No matter if you've been sexually abused even, Jesus can say, I've been sexually abused too. I was humiliated. I was stripped naked and exposed. I understand, and I can try to sympathize with you. And finally... He carried the sin of the world. Scripture tells us, he who knew no sin, he who didn't sin once in his life became sin for you and I. No matter the shame that you feel from your sin, no matter what you've gone through, Jesus isn't a high and mighty, oh, I didn't sin, you can't bring that to me. Jesus can say, I have felt Every sin of the world, past, present, and future. I felt the shame of every sin, past, present, and future. Sympathize with me. Cry out to me. I am here. The point is Jesus has never left your side in a physical manner. He's always been here, but he also can sympathize with you no matter where you are at mentally, in your sin, in your shame, in your anxiety, in your abuse, in your slander, it doesn't matter. He can be right there with you. Reason number three is to show us the severity of our sin. To show us the severity of our sin. I'm sure many of you have heard, more severe the crime, more severe the time. We know that we serve a God of justice. That he doesn't let anything go that is unjust. He is a God of justice. And so even if we don't even know what sin is, even if we don't know what that looks like, 
We can look at the punishment alone that Jesus went through and see how severe our sin really must be. Because, for instance, if someone murders a person and is put on trial and the defendant who, our defendant is Jesus, the defendant goes, no, I will serve 10 years in prison for this murderer. That's not just. But if the defendant says, I will give my life for this person who murdered, I will, be, I will pay the price for them, that would be more just. And we can tell by the punishment alone that Jesus went through how severe our sin is because the price that he had to pay for it was the most brutal execution and torture that ever happened to anyone. It was the worst of the worst. He paid the ultimate price in the worst way. Not only was he just a regular man, but he was the very son of God. It's a big difference when you steal a candy bar and you steal a diamond ring. When you steal a candy bar and you rob a bank. There's a big difference the value that is placed on what you're taking. And the value of the one who was beaten and died for you was the very Son of God. Does that put your sin into perspective of how severe it is, the price that he had to pay? And reason number four is to show us his love for us and our worth in his eyes. Reason number four, to show us his love for us and our worth in his eyes. The price he paid not only shows us how severe our sin is, but it shows us how much he loves us. Because the thing is, is Jesus didn't just accept the punishment for us. He endured it. That means at every point in, the, in his execution, he still chose you. Jesus says it himself. Matthew 26, verse 52 and 53. This is when Jesus was about to be arrested. He's speaking to Peter. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I can't call on my father and he will, want, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? This is like, eight, I forget how many, it's thousands of angels. At his call, he could ask his father and thousands of angels can come and rescue him. And he was even mocked to do it. But he still chose you. So that means at every point inside his crucifixion, he chose you. He could have bailed out at any time and said, okay, Father, rescue me. So that means that at his lashes, when he was being falsely accused even, he could have said, you know what, Father, this is too humiliating. I'm being blindfolded and beat right now. This is humiliating. Father, save me. My cre the creation, people, it's not worth it. He could have said that. He told us himself that he could have said that. But when his arms and his legs were chained apart and he was whipped by this cat of nine tails, tearing at his skin, ripping it off of his back, at five lashes, he still said, I choose you. Twenty lashes. No, I still choose you. At 40 lashes, he still says, I choose you. Even when his arms were tied to that crossbeam, he falls, breaking his ribs, humiliated, can't even get up. He still says, I choose you. When that first nail went through his median nerve, causing excruciating pain through his whole entire body, he still said, I choose you. When his other hand and his feet were pierced through that cross, he still said, I choose you. At any point, he could have said, Father, save me. When he was hanging on that cross, having to be in excruciating pain just to get his next breath, he still chose you. When he was being mocked and said, just call upon your Father. You say you're the Son of God. Have your angels rescue you. And he still said, I choose you. 
Not only that, not only did he in his head think, I'm going to choose you. He was being mocked. He was being tortured. He had his hands nailed to the cross. He cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He chose you. His love is so deep for us. He didn't give up on us. We don't deserve it. He chose you through every bit of torture. The most painful, excruciating death there is. Crazy thing. He made it so easy for us to choose him back. We don't need to go through anything excruciating to choose it. Romans 10.9 simply says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he will be saved. He chose you. Are you going to choose him inside your words? Are you going to choose him inside your heart? Now, I don't care if you're making this prayer of acceptance to the Lord for the first time or for the hundredth time. I just want us to stand. I want us to come to the altar. I want us to get on our, on our hands and knees. Whatever you feel called to do, do it. And as this song is playing, I just want us to make this declaration. I want us to declare Jesus as the Lord of our life. Whether this is the first time or the hundredth time, I want us to make this declaration. So say this with me, Lord, forgive me. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Just like you chose me through every lash and every nail, I choose you this day and every day until my last in my heart and through my, the words of my mouth. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Amen. So let's just rest inside this moment as the music is playing. We could turn this up more. Have this time with the Lord. Recognize his sacrifice. Whatever you need to lay down at the cross, whatever sin has overtaken you, whatever there is, it doesn't matter. Lay it down at the cross. This time is between you and Jesus. So go ahead. Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week. Make sure to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And for more information, videos, sermons, or events, check out our website at igateway.org. Thank you and have a blessed week.